over the past few weeks as a church, uh, since the start of January, we've done um, three, three different things, really. We talked about being crazy busy um, over two weeks and living in ordinary lives. We talked about getting the priority of sitting at Jesus' feet as number one in our lives. And we talked, Graham, last week about living ordinary lives that honor God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, I want to I turn from looking at our lives individually to our life together corporately. And um, there's a, I want to talk about the church, basically, something that is close to God's heart and certainly uh, on the very heartbeat of God. And um, this is going to seem very strange. And my wife told me not to do this, but <laughs> that was just a piece of advice. It wasn't like a warning. But I actually feel like as a, as a, as a visual demonstration of why this is significant, I felt God tell me, I'm going to take off my shoes while I speak today. Because I think what I'm talking about today is something that's of holy significance for our lives and something that God feels very... And my socks, yeah, don't worry, so you can all smell. We're going for a 3D, 4D church. You get the smell as well as the sights and the sounds. So you'll get the anointing from the feet. But I just felt today as we're talking about the church, this is something that's so close to God's heart, something that's so much a part of what he kind of thinks about, lies awake, dreaming about, uh, gave his life for. So I want to communicate. We're talking about something quite holy and special and sacred. And many of us bring our ideas to the Bible uh, that are formed by our background, our upbringing, our experience. And we bring our ideas about the church to church life and go, I know what church is. I've been to a church before. And actually, I want us to come and humble ourselves and say, well, let's, let's just look at what God's word has to say about the church. And we're going to do it over a couple of weeks. Um, there's, a, there's a scene in the, the first Hobbit film where Gandalf is trying to convince Bilbo to join them on this quest to help the dwarves get their homeland back or get their house back. And Bilbo's resisting because he's a, he says, I'm a hobbit. I'm supposed to play it safe. I stay here. And, and Gandalf says to him, when did doilies and your mother's dishcloths become so important to you? He says, I remember a young hobbit who was go, always going off in search of adventure. And then they talk some more and Bilbo says, if I do go, can you guarantee that I'll be safe? And Gandalf says, no. And what's more, if you do come, I can't guarantee you'll be safe. And if you do come back, you'll never be the same again. And my experience of the Christian life is that I became a Christian, but it was really when I met the church and started being part of a church that I felt like I'm never going to be the same again. This community of people has affected me so much, positively and negatively. It's rubbing the bad bits off and it's bringing out the good bits from me that I'm never the same again because I've met the church. And that's why I think the church is significant. Uh, not everyone agrees. Not everyone thinks the church is worth all that and celebrating and talking much about. And a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians actually, um, often like pointing out all of the flaws and imperfections about church and church life. Because, hey, we're a, a group of imperfect people trying to make a, a God-honoring community, so it's never going to be perfect. And we talk about the tabloids and the scandals and things like that. And it just reminded me of something that my son often does. Okay, So Zach is two. And um, he's got this thing at the moment that whenever he sees a bare, bare piece of flesh, he has to slap it. Because I'm not entirely sure why. I think he likes the noise. But say I'm there and I'm just kind of leaning forward to do something on the table. If my shirt rides up a little bit to expose a bit of flesh, it's a slap. <laughs> he just loves it. He just keeps doing this. And it's really quite infuriating. You get him into bed in the morning, he's lying there with you and sees a bit of flesh, slap. He just, that's what he does. That's a hobby of his at the moment, and it's quite annoying. My experience is that some people, some people in the church, 
I like that when it comes to the church. As soon as they see a tiny piece of imperfection, slap, point that out. Make that sting. Look, the church isn't perfect, slap. I was with someone just this last week having lunch with them. They asked me to come and pray for them. They're a Christian um, who are, who's facing cancer, asked me to pray for them because they're worried about their health. And we talked, and it's very clear as you talk to this person, he's given up on church. God, yes. Church, no thanks. I don't need that. I'm like, oh no, you do. <laughs> uh, but for him, it's, it's, he's seen enough that's turned him off that when he hears of it again, it's slap. See, I told you the church is wrong. I told you the church does things that are bad. I told you the church lets people down. I told you the church is full of hypocrites and they're arrogant. Slap. That's what we can end up doing. We can end up having an attitude like that. Jesus said in, I think it was Matthew 26, um, talking to his friends, he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, oh, some say John the Baptist, some say this prophet, some say Elijah. What about you? Who do you say? He said, said, well, we think you're the anointed one who's come from God to rescue us. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. The first time anyone used that word to talk about the New Testament community. I will build my church, Jesus said. So Jesus is committed to building his church. And and, and particularly for us as a community, we have grown uh, in the last few months by upwards of 20 to 30 people every week gathering with us on a Sunday, which is fantastic. It's really exciting. But all of us come with our different backgrounds and attitudes and experiences where it comes to church life or, or just cultural upbringings and experiences that cause us to think particular ways about the church. And so I thought it's really important for us before we launch too far forward just take a couple of weeks and go, right, let's just hone things in. Let's just get on the same page about what we're trying to do here and what the church is actually all about and things like that. So if you've got a Bible, uh, go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. As with a lot of things, a lot of attitudes that we hold, um, a lot of things that are culturally imposed upon us that we just become like because, I don't know, we're English or we're Ghanaian or we're Zimbabwean or we're Czechoslovakian. We have things like that, all of us do, lenses that we, we look through, worldviews. Some of them are neutral, they're okay, they're fine. Some of them need to be redeemed and when we become Christians and hear what God's word says and some of them we need to reject. And I suspect that there's some attitudes within us that will fall into those categories as we go through this as well. Okay, now this is one of my favourite parts of the Bible. Uh, it's my favourite letter, and so I want to read it quite slow, and I might even read it twice. In fact, we could just have a morning where I just read this over and over again. Some of you would love that, <laughs> um, but we're going to read it and comment on it and share what I think God's saying to us about this. So this is Peter writing. This is the guy that Jesus said, I will build my church. Okay, so he's now kind of heard, okay, Jesus said that, and now, and now years later he's writing this letter about this, and this is what he says. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, and but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies 
of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or aliens and strangers and exiles, I urge you abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the first thing I want to say about the church is the church is built on Jesus this might sound obvious, but it's, it's far from obvious. Uh, it says in verse 4, As you come to him, as you come to him, a living stone. In verse 9 it says that we have been called uh, we're for his own possession. We belong to him. Uh, Jesus builds the church. He created the church. He's the center of the church's attention and focus. He's the reason that the church exists. He's the head of the church. As in he's the one in charge. The church is his bride, uh, his beloved, the one that stirs his heart. He's devoted to the church. And Jesus has not quit on the church, despite a far from perfect track record. Here he's called a living stone. He's called the cornerstone. So he's, he's the foundational point of a building, a spiritual building made up of people that has grown up from him. So Jesus is the one that everything hinges on and is built around. And so to say that Jesus is important to the church is, is a massive understatement. He both created it and he sustains it. And it's the physical representation of Jesus on the earth. Uh, when, when Saul in the book of Acts is persecuting Christians and having them thrown in prison, Jesus appears to him in a vision and he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, not the church, why are you persecuting me, he said. It's not, I take this very personally. So when you, uh, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me, he says to Jesus. He says to Saul. Jesus maintains the church. Jesus leads the church. In fact, I know of one church where they have in their kind of who's who in the zoo as you walk into the church and it has the, who the leaders are. So uh, before anyone's picture or face or name, it says at the top, Jesus is the senior pastor of this church, which is theologically accurate and appropriate. Jesus is in charge of the church. Now, the church can get known for, and we are known for, many things. Uh, but we ought to be known for being a people primarily who are just obsessed with Jesus. We're, just, we're Jesus people. We love Jesus. We make much of Jesus. We talk a lot about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Our sermons, if you've noticed, they're always about Jesus. We always end with or begin with or have in the middle Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes sense of life for us. And so for us as a church, for individuals together, it's Jesus who is our focus and actually the it sounds again like an obvious thing to say but if you're anything like me you can get drawn off of Jesus onto so many other things good things okay things not wrong things I'll start with Jesus and Jesus is great and I'll follow Jesus for a few years but after a while what becomes most important to me is I, I just want to get my handicap lower on the golf course. That's not wrong. But if I just give all my energy and emotional thought life to that, or I just want to give, I just want to get this business deal right, or I just want to, just want to get my house right, I want to get my family right, the family, something, other things, good things can take the place of Jesus. One author I know 
Um, it says this. I, I don't know. I, I read about. He says this. Um, we naturally gravitate, it seems, towards anything but Jesus. And Christians almost as much as anyone. Whether it's the Christian worldview or grace, the Bible or the gospel, as if they were things in themselves that could save us. Even the cross can get abstracted from Jesus as if the wood had some power of its own. Other things, wonderful things, vital concepts, beautiful discoveries, they so easily edge Jesus aside and precious theological concepts meant to describe him and his work get treated as things in their own right. And this is where the quote gets really juicy, so I thought I'd put it up. Let's read this. He becomes just another brick in the wall, but the centre, and this is the juicy bit, you feel the, the juice kind of drop onto your lap as you read this, but the centre, the cornerstone, the jewel of the crown of Christ, in the crown of Christianity is not an idea, a system, or a thing. It's not even the gospel as such. It's Jesus Christ. As you read that, don't you feel like you're biting into, I don't know, a juicy orange? It's just all over the floor. It's just so beautiful. It's so true. Jesus is the jewel, the crown of Christianity. I love it. It's beautiful. In fact, one um, famous cricketer from the turn of the 19th century, a man named C.T. Studd, he was, he was very good at cricket. He was a very wealthy man. And uh, he played for England in one of the original Ashes tours over in, in Australia. And he, f- he became a Christian and he felt Jesus calling him to give it all up and instead to go overseas and tell people about Jesus, which he did. He went to India and China and Africa, devoting his life to wanting to tell people about Jesus. And when people said to him after giving up cricket, what are you doing? You know, you're professional cricketer for England against, the, against Australia, the ashes, the height of your career. Why would you give that up? He's famous for saying this, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice of mine can be too great for him. It's just one way of processing it. For the church then, it ought to be cool in the church to be passionate about Jesus. We might not use the language of cool, but you know what I mean. Uh, we dress a certain way or we listen to the type of songs we do because it's cool. Because, oh, go- those guys are on TV. They're cool. I want to be like them. I-, I can trust them because they're on the TV in my room. Great. In church life, there ought to be a culture of the most exciting thing that can happen here, or the coolest thing, is to be someone who's demonstrably over the top and excited about Jesus, bowled over for him. Now, we're British, though, and so we express how happy we are in different ways. We need to understand as British people that although some of that's neutral and fine, some of, it needs, some of our cultural reservedness needs to be overcome. Um, I was talking to Mzizi, when, said that when he first came from Zimbabwe, um, he would walk, he would have his headphones on walking to college, and he'd walk to college just dancing down the street. It's kind of, I didn't see him, but, and he said he used to bump into people around Eastbourne, and they said, oh, are you that kid that dances down the street on the way to college? And he's like, yes, because he had headphones on, he had music, he's like, oh, my favourite music, and I just walked to college like this. He said, I don't do that anymore. I think I've become more English. He said, now, when I want to dance, I look over my shoulder first to see if anyone's around. And I just thought, that's interesting. It's sad. It's interesting that there's a cultural influence that can happen to him. When the kingdom of God comes, two of the key hallmarks of the kingdom of God is freedom and joy. Freedom and joy. And those two things cross cultural barriers. Now, you don't have to become like MZZ and dance down the street, but you, when the kingdom comes, you will feel free. 
to do what you want, how you want it. You will lie down on the floor if you want. You'll dance if you want. Or if you don't want, you'll just stand there and go, I am free to stand here and not raise my arms. Great. God bless you. But you do it in a spirit of freedom, then the kingdom of God has come. When the kingdom comes, there's freedom and joy. That's how we express we're built on Jesus when he comes. That's what it, it looks like. And you see, in, in describing our church here, there's lots of things I could say, couldn't I? I could say, oh, we're, we're Protestant, we're evangelical, uh, we're charismatic, we're kind of broadly reformed. Um, we have a complementarian view of, of leadership in the home and church. Uh, we have a traditional view of sexuality and marriage. could talk about all those things. Actually, what I want to say is we, we just, we're Jesus' people. We love Jesus. We're built on him. He's the one who's brought us all together from wildly different backgrounds, wildly different economic standpoints as well, but united because of Jesus. We're built on Jesus. So what does it look like for churches to be built on Jesus? It might look like, you know, vegetable growing competitions like some of the churches down the road. Great. Not, uh, I, don't know, I don't know why I said that about churches down the road. Um, let me just stop for a moment. There, there is a feeling in, in some circles that it's acceptable to make jokes about other churches. Um, I don't want to be one of those people. Um, and so I shouldn't have said that. I don't want to have pop shots at the church. Individually, we're to order our lives around Jesus then. Uh, we're to meet him, we're to hear from him, we're to do what he tells us to do. Uh, and some of us, we think, I, some of us think, I, I want to be like Jesus, but I just don't feel Jesus. I can't, I'm not growing as a Christian. And for many of us, we're, we're still acting more like pinballs than we are like, acting like golf balls. Pinballs are reactive. They just bounce and spring off whatever they come into contact with and they expect to get some life direction. I'll grow as a Christian if I just go to every conference, if I just do everything I can and I'll just be a pinball, bounce, bounce, bounce. Or I'll, just, I'll grow as a Christian if I just go through life allowing everyone else's decisions to shape me, to impact me, to, to change me, to tell me who I'm going to be. That's what a pinball does. Pinballs generally don't get to where you want them to go. You have to give them a bit of force and occasionally kick the machine to get it to do what you want it to do. Golf balls. When you hit a golf ball like Tiger Woods or Nick Chisholm, just dead straight, 200 yards, knows where it's going, got a very clear purpose to it. If you want to grow as a Christian, make much of Jesus, but make decisions about that. So we've talked before about find out what makes you happy in God and make a discipline out of it. If a cup of coffee and the Bible in the morning makes you happy in God, do it. If it doesn't, don't do it. Find out what it is for you. Make a discipline out of it. Uh, whether it's talking to Jesus in the car on the way to work or staying up late when everyone's gone to bed and just spending some time talking to Jesus, whatever it is, find out what makes you happy in God. Make a discipline out of it. It's how we build lives that are centered on Jesus. In church life, we sing to Jesus. Yes, we, we preach about Jesus. Yes, we listen to him and we try to do what he tells us to do. Yes, but also... In verse 5, it says that we, uh, we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Jesus. In verse 12, it says, keep your conduct honourable. We live lives that honour Jesus. See, a Jesus-centred life is about more than singing and reading and praying. A Jesus-centred life, a life that the church ought to embody, is one that kind of every decision we make about the way we live gets filtered through this lens of what does Jesus want me to do? You know, you become a Christian by repenting, which means turning around, don't you? So repentance is this, I was going that way, 
I'm going to repent, I'm going to go this way. A repentance isn't just a, a one-off thing, it's a heart change. Like when you turn the oven from naught to 200, it doesn't go up to 200 and they go, I've done that, and go back down to zero. No, as Christians, you go, I repent and I stay in that posture. It's not a posture of constantly saying, sorry, 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 sorry. Repent, a repentance posture is one that says, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. That's where my heart goes. So if he, if he says this about my sex life or my relationship life, I'll trust him because I've repented. I'm doing what he wants me to do. And, um, and that's why we, um, it's why we fill out our tax forms, honestly. Uh, it's why we uh, keep the marriage bed pure. It's why we ask for forgiveness often from people that we offend. From, it's why we ask forgiveness from our children. It's why we ask forgiveness from our husband or wife or close friends or family members. We ask forgiveness. Why? Because my heart's turned towards Jesus now. It's why we work hard at our jobs and do them honestly. We don't steal from our employers. If they're paying for us to do a job, we don't use that time and just go on Facebook and social media and whatever because I'm, I don't want to honour Jesus with every decision that I make. And verse 10, it says that we're a people for his own possession. Jesus owns you. He owns you. If you're a believer, you belong to him. Uh, several years ago when I was um, at uni, I, I came to the conclusion that Jesus didn't want me going out and getting drunk and being with girls like all of my friends were at the time. So I made some decisions. Now, I'm, I'm going to go out with those guys because I love them, but I'm not going to do the same things that they do. And we'd go out together and uh, and and people would kind of be getting shots in and having rounds and I'd be saying, no, I'll just have a Coke. Just have a Diet Coke, thanks a lot. Uh, or a J2O if I'm feeling really risky. And we'd, we'd have those conversations and someone would say, oh, Jez can't. His religion doesn't let him. His religion doesn't let him. And, and at the time, I used to say, what are you talking about? It's not that it doesn't let me. It's I don't want to. I found a higher joy than these joys you're giving yourself to. I used to say that to them. It's not a duty, it's a delight. But actually, there's, there's a lot of truth in what they said. I'm a slave to Jesus. So when I do things that are out of kilter with what Jesus wants for me, oh, it's painful, it's awkward, because you know what? I know I have to say sorry. And I hate saying sorry again for the same thing. You know, there's, a, there's, there's things in our lives that we feel like we're always saying sorry for. Like, there's no point me saying sorry this time because I said sorry last time and I clearly didn't mean it because I'm doing it again. No, but the reason we do is because I'm sorry. I'm, I'm far from perfect. I need your help. I want to be a Jesus person. So that's the first thing. And the church is built on Jesus. Second thing and final thing is that the church, oh, it's put up here, it's built on Jesus. The second thing is that the church is um, a people. It's not a place. So verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. Peter makes it clear that we've been joined together. Um, that's what church is. When the, when the New Testament talks about you in the, in the letters, it's talking about you corporately, you plural. Peter describes a race of people, a holy nation. Other metaphors of, it, of the church being a family, a body. The Christian life is never meant to be lived just on your own with iTunes listening to the best sermons from around the world or the best worship CD from around the world. That's nice. I love those things. But the church is a localized body and family of people. So when Jesus said that 
that thing in Matthew 26, I'll build my church. The word that he used for church was this word, ecclesia. Uh, it's a Greek word, and it, it means a couple of things. First, it means a group of people who've been called together for a particular purpose. And it also was the description of the Old Testament people when they were wandering through the wilderness. They were the ecclesia of God. The church then is a community. It's a gathering of people. So Jesus, when he said, I will build my church, many of us think, yeah, the church. He's saying, I will build my community. I'll build my people. And the gates of hell won't even be able to stand up against it, he says. And for the first 300 years of the church, people got this because Christianity was illegal. There was no buildings anywhere. A Christian purposely built building to meet him for worship. And so they would meet together in, in homes or in marketplaces or wherever they could And so they knew we're the Ecclesia, us right here. And for 300 years, that's how it went. Have you ever wondered how it transitioned, how it changed? When 313, uh, the Edict of Milan, Constantine, the Roman emperor, passed a a bill that Christianity was now legalized. And when that happened, a whole load of things started happening. You didn't have to hide away and be a Christian anymore. You could do it publicly. Some uh, officials and rulers, it was trendy to become a Christian. If you were someone in power, you now wanted to be a Christian because it meant that you could have more influence. And so things changed dramatically at 313 AD. And one of the practices that ancient Christians, uh, early Christians were in was that... um, Around the anniversary of a martyr's death, Christians would meet together to take bread and wine and celebrate communion around the graveside of the martyr, just as a way of remembering their sacrifice as a Christian. When Christianity became legalized, what they did was they built buildings on top of the graves of those people. Uh, Or if they couldn't build them, they'd take the bones out of the ground and they'd move them somewhere else and they'd build a building around those bones. That's how a lot of the ancient tradition for relics began. And they built those buildings, they called them basilicas. Basilica is a word that means the house of kings, or it's a house of kings. It wasn't a religious term specifically at that time. It was just a, a general meeting place for rulers and important people. The reason this matters is because I'm going somewhere. And the Greek form of the word basilica is this word, kyriakon, uh, which comes from the, the beginning bit of the word kurios, uh, which is the Greek word for Lord. And there was the kyriakon is the house of the Lord. Again, not just referring to Jesus as Lord, but any pagan Lord, any, anything like that. Basilicas and kyriakons. And the church used to meet there. They used to have some specifically for themselves. Over time, down through the centuries, that word kyriakon uh, morphed. And in its German form, it became uh, this word, from kyrika to kirsch. And it's from kirsch that the word's translated church. This matters because kirsch is referring to the building, whereas ecclesia was only ever referring to the people. It's not that Christians kind of grew up and said, ah, now the meeting place is this building and that's what the church is. No. The house of God is the people of God. The temple of God is the people of God. Church buildings are places of worship. They are not holy sanctuaries of themselves. That is a pagan and largely Old Testament has its, has its thinking in paganism and largely Old Testament thinking as well. You, if you're a Christian, you're the temple of God. Together, we are the temple of God, the ecclesia of God, the people of God. Church is about people, not steeples. It's about people, not steeples. And in, ancient, in the ancient world and in the history of religion, um, this was hugely significant, the emergence of this ecclesia, this community of people, because um, in, in, in paganism, there was no, 
there was no such thing as a religious community that you could belong to. Religion was very much a go to and do kind of affair. It wasn't a be and belong sort of deal. And so people went to the temple of Zeus to offer a sacrifice to Zeus, but they weren't Zeusian, or they went to Jupiter's temple, but they weren't Jupiterian. That's just what they did. Religion was very much a consumer affair. You went to temple, you did your bit, you paid your money, you made your sacrifice, you went home again. Peter is writing into that world saying, you now are the people of God. You don't need to go anywhere particular. Jesus even says, when two or three gather in my name, I'm there with you. That, I don't think we can feel the force of that. And, but it's interesting because the pagan way of approaching religious life appeals to the part of me that's a consumer and loves to just do my bit and go home and get God. I'll, I'll light a candle and go home and get God's blessing on my life. I can just do my bit and go. Whereas Christianity requires something very different from me. I say all that because we need to be aware that um, the people who join us as a church, the people, when we gather together, we come from a Kirsch way of thinking rather than an Ecclesia way of thinking. We do. Just the, the world that we live in puts that forward and the consumer society that we're part of allows for that. That's, we need to be aware of that. We need to be patient with one another when we see that. We need to deal with it in our own heart when we see it in ourselves and why as well and go, I want to, this is what, I want to be changed. This is what I started this morning by saying we want to come to the Bible and, and ask the Bible what it wants to say to us rather than us imposing, oh, the word church, I know church, fine, move on. No, church is an ecclesia. And see, we've become uh, just an increasingly individualized society. There's the eyes, iPod, iTunes, uh, iStore, iMac, uh, and there's YouTube and MySpace and iPlayer. We've got loads of things like that. Um, one one writer's coined the term that we are um, we're treating our religious life like that as well as a society that we're becoming a society of spiritual narcissists. Uh, narcissist was this guy from ancient mythology who walked past his reflection one day and was so enamoured with it he devoted his whole life to his reflection. Uh, this is a picture of him. Leonardo da Vinci painted the picture. We've become spiritual narcissists. Uh, that all of us have been given permission to just. Get, put into religion what you want to get out. Put into church life what you want to get out of it. And actually, Time magazine in 2006 uh, did something they've never done before. Uh, every year they have a cover edition that's the person of the year. And in 2006, the cover was this, you. They put a mirror on the front and said, you are the person of the year. It's all about you. That's the spirit of our age. That's the spirit that I sense in my gut. And we just need to be aware, 100 years ago, in this country, people wouldn't have thought like that. Present day, people in other countries and nations don't think like that. The Bible's not written uh, to encourage that way of thinking. And so becoming a Christian and being in Jesus' ecclesia challenges this way of thinking. Uh, the church is a global people but also a localized community and family. Lots of them all across towns. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's where we work out our Christian life. And it is uncomfortable for us, particularly those of us who, if you've come, been raised in this country, people, or people from cold climate countries generally, uh, where we lock our doors and we're inside our castle. 
And so ecclesia is a very challenging way of living, much more challenging than Kirsch would be. But being part of the ecclesia of God has implications on our lives. Um, it means that I factor into, I factor the ecclesia into my decision making. Uh, what job I take or don't take, the hobbies I, I start or don't start, or the uni I go to. Um, a Kirsch way of thinking says, oh, I'll, I'll go to uni, but I don't really care about what churches there are because I can just do my bit. Ecclesia says, who are the people and where, what uni shall I go to based on who the people are? Or uh, what's the Ecclesia doing and when's it doing it? And then I'll have to kind of fit my hobbies around that because I want to be part of this group of people. Uh, the Ecclesia doesn't give up meeting together. We meet in all kinds of different ways. Uh, Sundays, midweeks, in cafes, pubs, homes. We have prayer meetings on Wednesdays uh, in a variety of different ways because we know life's busy. We can't all get to everything. So we want to provide different ways of being together. We have small groups of just two and three people who meet together when they can just to share their life together in a, in, in a, in a place where life happens uh, because we know that's important. The Ecclesia allows the influence of others to mould us and to change our decisions I always say that one of the most difficult things that happened to me was also one of the most glorious was when I was at at uni, again, my final year, and uh, there was this girl that I'd met, and she was pretty, and we got on well, and I liked this girl. Her name was Angie. Um, So I had this song by, who sings that song? I'm looking at you, you know. Doesn't mess, Sting. Mick Jagger, okay, thanks. That was irrelevant, sorry. Uh, But I had to get the answer to that. Had this song for Angie, and I thought, oh, she's impressive. And so I, spent, I talked to my, my friends from the church, and I said, I really like this girl. Um, I think I'm going to go out with her. What do you think? And they said, we don't think you should. We think it would be bad for you. Don't do it. And at the time, I was like, what? who are you to tell me what I can't do? I'll do what I want. Thank you very much. And then I went away from there, and I thought, no, okay, I want to be a Jesus person. And so I'll listen to them. And I, said, I told Angie, sorry, I'm not interested. A few months later, Amy arrives at university and I wasn't in a relationship so I could take her under my wing and show her the sights and make sure no one else got her first. So she was mine. And then years later, I made sure that no one else could really get her and put a ring on it. I liked it that much. Um, Her. (laughs) We allow the church community to help us with some of those things even when we disagree with them. Kirsch way of thinking says... I disagree with you, I'm going to go find somewhere I agree with. Or Kirschberg, I think, he says, yes, I'll submit to your leadership as long as I agree with you, <laughs> which isn't submission, that's just agreement. But Ecclesia says, I will submit to the leadership here, and when I disagree, we'll talk that through, but I want to be part of this community, and I'm sure you see something that I don't, just as I see something that you don't. The Ecclesia says, I'm going to use my gifts, and I'm going to use the things that I have that God's given me, I'm going to use them to strengthen the whole um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the time that I've got to look after some children in the crash so that their parents can get in here and just hear God's word again. I'm going to use the time and gifts that I've got to teach some other people's kids about God so that they've kind of got two people on two fronts trying to teach this child about God. I'm going to use the gifts that I've got to help make this church a welcoming church or an encouraging church. I'm going to do what I can because I want to be part of this ecclesia. I'll use the strength that I've got 
to help people set up, sit down. When we're, we've been in a school for four years and, and people are increasingly coming up to me going, are we going to get a building soon? Um, please, it's really tiring. I'd really like a building so we didn't have to do all this set up, sit down. And Can we, can we not put the lights out anymore? Because that's, 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 that's a bridge too far. Or can we, can we just let people grab their own chairs when they come? Because I, I can't be bothered to put chairs out anymore. It's been four years. People are doing that increasingly. And increasingly they're saying, no, no, no. The bigger picture of why we're doing this, what we're doing it for. And now all of us as an ecclesia are going, I will use the strength I've got. So Marlon recently joined the setup team. When you look at Marlon, so hench and brute force, you think, well, he's on his own. No one else needs to come help set up on week four because he can do it all on his own. But that's what being part of an ecclesia is. I know that one of the first times I encountered ecclesia rather than curse just blew my mind. I read about it in the Bible. I saw these people who devoted themselves to one another, who gave to any as any had need. I read about it, but I never experienced it. And when I experienced it, it blew my mind. It was very threatening to my family, who were used to providing all my needs. And now suddenly I'm part of this family who have got my back, who are encouraging me, praying for me, helping me, and kind of getting rid of the rough edges of me, off me, of which there are many. The church is Jesus' body. Um, albeit an imperfect, occasionally overweight or malnourished version of it, but the church is Jesus' body. And so sometimes people say to me, um, how, do I, how do I experience Jesus' love in my life more? And I just say, open your eyes. His body is loving you and helping you. His body's doing it. I want to know, know how Jesus feels about me. Okay, what did that person say that encouraged you? They're Jesus' body. So that's Jesus speaking to you. Well, there's one famous story a man named John Wimber tells about um, a time on church one Sunday morning and a lady came up to him very angry because she'd heard about someone in the church who was in need and the church hadn't done anything about it. And so she came to the pastor and said, I phoned up the leaders and I called my life group leader and no one could help. No one did anything about it. What is this? Isn't the church supposed to help? And he said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. What happened? And she said, well, in the end, I had to do it myself. Don't you think the church should help? And he said, well, sounds like the church did help. But we sometimes can have a mentality that says, other oh, professionals, they do the pastoring, we do the spectating. That's not New Testament church life. That's not ecclesia. As we're going to come on to look at next week, um, we are all priests. We are all of us part of the people of God. And now listen, if you're not a member of this church and you're a visitor, you might be hearing this going, whoa, this is a heavy thing. I can't be part of this. They require a lot of my time and energy and effort, and I'm fine as I am. Listen, this isn't for anyone who doesn't want it. The church is the beautiful bride and body of Jesus and when we gather, there's a, and when we get together, there's opportunity for each of us individually to lay our gifts at one another's feet and say, here, use this. No one takes anything from anyone else. I don't go around people's houses and say, give me your money. I don't go up to people and say, give me your muscle, Marlon, we need that. I might say, would you like to use your muscle? Or would you like to use your money to build the kingdom? Of-? I might. So if you're a visitor and just looking in and you think, I'm not a member of this... Uh, this is, for the, this is what it means to be church. But it's not something that's imposed on people. It's something we enter into because we've understood who Jesus is and the difference that that makes. We have this saying around here uh, that we're to be the, be the church that we want to build. I think I stole it from Gandhi, but don't tell anyone. Be the church that you want to build. Um, let's build a church that is built on Jesus and that is 
a people together rather than an experience that we attend. That's part one of what the church is. And next week, we're going to come and look at that some more together. Let me pray. And I think we'll end by singing that song again, uh, Build Your Kingdom Here, because I think that's a, a helpful piece of truth for us to be celebrating about God's people.